Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. They are doing Beauty and the Beast at the Muni, and they didn't ask me to be the wardrobe. I'll see myself out. Oh my God! Did you hear? Did you hear? Did you hear? Oh my God, guys! Did you hear? Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! Oh my God! What is up, everybody? My name is Jake Workman, and this is Oh My Pod, you guys, a musical theater and pop culture podcast. You guys, last night, I was lucky enough to see my very dear friend, who just so happens to be our guest on this episode, Miss Leslie Blake Walker, make her principal debut in Funny Girl on Broadway in the role of Emma. I was so excited and so, so proud. It happened so quickly. She sent us a text and was like, hey guys, it's happening. I'm making my principal debut. And so of course I had to run and get a ticket and I was just so beyond proud of her. So I cannot wait to introduce you guys to her later in this episode. And y'all, it is award season, which means we got to dive head first into this week's broadwayworld.com recap because mama, there is so much going on. It was just announced that Shucked and Some Like It Hot lead the nominations for the 2023 Drama Desk Awards. The Drama Desk Awards consider shows that opened on Broadway, off Broadway, and off off Broadway in the New York theater season. And this year, Shucked has 12 Drama Desk nominations, followed by Some Like It Hot with eight nominations. Into the Woods and New York, New York are tied at six nominations, and Life of Pi, which I loved so, so dearly, if you've listened to the pod, you know that I'm obsessed with this play, um, got five nominations, including Outstanding Scenic Design for a Play, Outstanding Projection and Video Design, Outstanding Puppetry, Outstanding Direction of a Play, and Outstanding Lead Performance in a Play for Hiran Avasukura. You guys, I was so moved by this play. I'm so thrilled that they're getting the recognition that they deserve. And I think it's brilliant that these drama desk categories are not gendered. It's so refreshing and exciting. And I um, look forward to seeing other awards organizations follow suit. This week, we also got the announcement of the Outer Critics Circle Award nominations being led by New York, New York and Some Like It Hot. And the play nominations are led by Downstate and Leopoldstadt. And one particular nomination that I am so beyond thrilled about in these non-gendered categories is the nomination for Outstanding Lead Performer in a Musical Off-Broadway, which is for Marla Mindell as Celine Dion in Titanic. I'm so thrilled for her. She was absolutely just beyond incredible in this show. And the fact that she also co-created it is just so special. So to see her be recognized for this performance and this creation is just amazing. I'm so, so happy for her. And coming next week, you guys, are the nominations for the 
coveted Tony Awards. So stay tuned because you know we will be diving into all of the Tony Awards tea next episode. Apart from awards news, it was just announced that James T. Lane's solo autobiographical show, Triple Threat, is going to make its off-Broadway debut this summer at Theatre Row, which I'm so thrilled about. If you've been following the show, you know that I had James as a guest on the show. You can listen to his episode. He is just an absolute delight, and I cannot wait to check out the show when it comes to off-Broadway this summer. Broadway World also just announced that the new cast album for Sweeney Todd Broadway will be released later this year. And you guys, if you are a slut for Sondheim like I am, you know this is going to be a crazy, crazy recording. I am so excited for the vocals. Annalie Ashford, Josh Groban, everybody. It's, it's such a stacked cast. I cannot wait to hear this interpretation of the show. And I can't wait to see it. We also got the cast announcement for this summer's production of Beauty and the Beast at the Muni, starring Ashley Blanchett as Belle, Ben Crawford as the Beast, Claiborne Elder as Gaston, and Queen of Broadway, Anne Harada as Mrs. Potts. Of course, tragically, I was not asked to join them as Madame de la Grande Bouche, the wardrobe, which I myself would say would be impeccable casting, but that's neither here nor there. I'm sure their show will still be beautiful. And lastly, you guys, in one more bit of regional news, it was just announced that the regional premiere of Frozen, the musical, is going to happen at Tuacon in 2024, which is so exciting. Tuacon is known for their incredibly beautiful, huge, lavish productions. They have a gigantic outdoor theater space, in Utah, and I think that they are the perfect venue to put on a show as stunning and ginormous as Frozen. And you guys, this has been the Broadway World Recap. Oh my pod, you guys! I am so excited to welcome my next guest to the show. She is currently in the ensemble of Funny Girl on Broadway, and she also just so happens to be one of my best friends in the entire freaking planet. Please welcome Miss Leslie Blake Walker. Hello. <laughs> so thrilled to be here. Oh my God. It is time. It is time. Like, okay, for the listeners, I must say, we have already girded our loins for how unhinged this pod episode could be, but darlings, buckle up because <laughs> you just never know what you might get with one Jake and one Leslie in a room. The things that come out of our mouths, <laughs> the dances we break into. <laughs> it's so funny because we are also in semi-close physical proximity right now. <laughs> yes, would you would you care to tell the listeners where we, where we're recording? Uh, yeah, so we really tried to do this in person, like right next to each other, and then GarageBand was being a little twat, and so <laughs> I'm literally in the room across the hall. All this of this is phone. to say that I'm a worldly professional podcaster who knows what they're doing. Period. Listen, we went to school for musical theater, okay? We can't be expected <laughs> to know these things, okay? I can kickball change on a Broadway stage, and I can't work a computer for shit. 
listen, they let us get out of that program without being able to file a W-2. So <laughs> that's the real tea. That surprising. That's the real tea. Let's, <laughs> let's talk about the fact that they don't teach you about taxes and BFA <laughs> Okay. Sincerely, diving right in, we have got to... Well, okay. To, to preface, let me just give the listeners some background. Basically... I met Leslie Blake Walker my freshman year at the Hart School of Music. You met me sooner than that. Don't lie. (gasps) Oh my God. What am I saying? Blasphemy. I met Leslie Blake Walker before my freshman year (laughs) at the Hart School because we auditioned (laughs) for the the school together at Chicago Unifieds during the great blizzard of 2015. And I remember... I clocked Leslie right away across the room. Not even across the room. We were basically like next to each other for the whole dance call. But I was like, oh, oh, this bitch is it. This bitch has the moves, mama. She is dancing. And then, you know, lo and behold, cut to we get to school and we're like, aha, I know you. (laughs) And it was the most chaotic dance call ever because... Anyone who's done Unifieds in Chicago knows that it's, you know, it's at the Palmer House. It's in all the little convention rooms. And, you know, the the big name schools like, you know, CCM in Michigan, they had for their dance calls, they had these massive rooms, lots of space, you know, and I mean, they're all carpeted, which is, you know, shitty. But we had this tiny little narrow room and I'm pretty (laughs) sure there was like a banister in the middle of it or something. Mm -hmm. It's like you couldn't move from side to side because it had no space horizontally. It was more (laughs) of a vertical situation. And so any traveling you did had to be forward and backward. And it was absolutely crazy. And several people, I think there were at least five people in that room, not just you and I, that all ended up being at heart because yes, it was like you and I and then at least three other people totally just wild to like look back on and see where we are now that is so crazy but I genuinely remember being like well this bitch has it in the bag she booked she booked the school she booked the play and I booked your friendship <laughs> most importantly <laughs> and then we ended up in the same voice studio and so not only were we in the same class and everything but we would at least for those four years see each other once a week on Sundays for master class which was always so wonderful because I learned so much from you and watching you oh and hearing gosh. you sing and act and, and be just the marvelous artist that you are you are too um, kind but yeah, it's and and now, and now I'm just in <laughs> one room away. Now you're right. We're, we're sharing a <laughs> on wall a <laughs> on a Broadway World podcast. What a time well, to be alive! I can honestly say that I learned so so much from watching you and getting to work with you throughout my four years um, at school with you. And I wanted to have you on the pod, obviously, to talk about Funny Girl, which we'll get to. But um, I want to hear about your artistic process in going about creating um, choreography, but also just like a, a piece of art in general. I mean, you had the opportunity to choreograph a main stage production um, at our school, at the Hart School, um, and you also created your entirely original work um, based on the Beatles album, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Um, tell me about like what what drives your inspiration to create or like how do you um first approach 
creating a piece of choreography. I mean, truly the biggest example of my choreographic process is Sgt. Pepper. I'm so motivated by music, specifically lyrics that I'm drawn to. Most of my dancing work that I create originally, it's very literal to the story that's being told in the music. I see that as sort of the map. And then I figure out the actual path you take to get from point A to point B. And so that's kind of how I view songs. And I think, you know, the the Beatles were such incredible storytellers. And even when they didn't know what they were saying, you know, there are so many of their songs that are just absolute nonsense. And they (laughs) were the first ones to admit that. They'd be like, oh, what's this about? I don't know. I was on on LSD. Like, they just, you know. (laughs) Uh, I don't know. I don't know. And so... I like creating my own little stories and Sgt. Pepper was the, it was a groundbreaking album for so many reasons, mainly because so many studio techniques were created in the process of that album, Mm. studio techniques that are still used in recording studios today. And it changed the way that we record albums. Um, And it was really just by them sort of messing around. But I think, and and I think they did this sort of unintentionally, there are so many through lines through that album. And you can, it's so easy to look through it and be like, oh, there's, I remember your character specifically that I dreamt of and created for that piece. I saw as moving through all of the songs Mm -hmm. and I saw as being, you know, a through line. And it was just very easy to do that with that album. And then I like to, I like having muses, you know, I love creating and I still do I love creating movement on you and there were several people in our class that I asked to be part of that project for specific characters that I had in mind Mm -hmm. for those songs like when I did she's leaving home that was one that I specifically crafted for you Michaela Edelman and Katie Elman like Mm -hmm. I saw the three of you doing that and so I'm just I'm inspired by music I'm inspired by the dancers around me I, you know, at the end of the day, it's all movement that feels good in my body and feels good when I do it. And I know is stuff that I look good doing, but all of my inspiration comes from outside sources like that. And I just, Mm -hmm. I love music. I love classic rock. I believe that, you know, musicians were in a lot of ways, like, I do believe we have some really amazing storytellers now in this day and age, but it was all created in the sixties and the seventies and the eighties and all that. Mm -hmm. It's a huge, huge inspiration of mine. So that's kind of where I start. If 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 I'm hyper fixated on a song and I'm listening to it and it's on the same playlist that I'm on the subway every single day, I it usually will not get out of my head until I make movement to it. Mm. You know, like I <laughs> I will not let it go until I've choreographed an entire thing and then I've put it on a studio and in my body. And then usually I can be like, okay, now I can let that song go now for at sure. least a little while. You know, because sure. then I will have made something tangible out of it. And then is there any element of, of like the aesthetic for you going in? Like, are you thinking like, I want, I want like these shapes or this specific um, line or, you know, this is going to be really athletic versus this is going to be really um, sort of like ooey gooey and like legato. Like, do you, is that at all in play when you are initially coming up with choreography or are you much more inclined to let it just sort of happen and then pick and choose usually what happens is one or two maybe three steps come to mind that start to shape the vocabulary of the piece that I'm gonna do 
and they will come into my mind usually the first time I listen to a song and they just solidify as I further explore it. And I base everything in that piece kind of off that phrase that I create. I mean, Mm -hmm. I'm sure you saw elements of that when we were working on that project and when we've choreographed and stuff together. Like, I'll usually be like, I definitely want to do this. Yes. Now I want to color in the stuff around it and figure out what else fits in with the world of that step. But it's usually a very small piece that I come up with first that I know (laughs) is it. That I'm like, this is the vibe. This is the move. This is the thing. I know that for certain. Yeah. And then I usually go to, you know, you and I go, okay, now what else do we do? Like, (laughs) (laughs) yes. Or like one or the other of us will be like, wait, what did we, what what was that? What did I just do? Yeah, it, I always say, and like when I teach classes or when I'm setting choreography or anything, like I can remember other people's choreography till the day that I die. I can still do full <laughs> production numbers from shows I did when I was 13. But if you ask me to repeat my own choreography from 20 minutes ago, there's no way. There's, it's not happening. Like unless I got it on video or if you were there to capture it and be like oh you did this like i'm not gonna remember it there's absolutely no way (laughs) which is hilarious because like genuinely you can recall choreography from i'll be like oh my god remember that combo that we did at that one audition um eight years ago and you're like oh you mean five six seven eight (laughs) i'm like oh my god um but so obviously you are a a singer, an actor, and a dancer, but I want to definitely hear about your experience and your upbringing as a dancer specifically because, you know, your um, your mom was also a dancer and you sort of grew up doing, um, doing musicals. You worked at the Arrow Rock Lyceum Theater for many, many years, and I'm sure that, like, helped shape who you are as a performer, but um, tell me about your, your upbringing as a dancer. Absolutely. So I started dancing just naturally in my living room. My mother showed me the 1998 movie of Cats. I was hooked from then on out. Oh, yes. (laughs) Uh, For those of you who don't know, um, for every year that we were in college, Jake and I recreated an entire a different number from Cats every single year. If college was like 12 years long, we would have eventually finished the show and would have been able to perform an entire two-person rendition of it, sadly. We um, essentially did the revival uh, at, We We at really school, did. So. Yeah, the, the real revival was happening in N125 in Hartford, Connecticut. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing at the Neil Simon those years, but the real revival was happening with us. But Period. <laughs> but yeah, so I... I would I would do the choreography in front of the TV when I was like two and three. And what my if you ask my mom when it was that she knew that I was going to be a dancer, it's they would watch me dance cats in front of the TV and I wasn't mirroring, which meant that I was doing the choreography on the same foot that they were doing it I wasn't just mirroring the television right and my dad says that's the day that he looked at my mom and said oh god we're in trouble because it just (laughs) it made sense to me and when I looked at the tv I could see oh like I understand that to me it looks like they're stepping on the left foot forward but I know it's the right foot because they're facing me yes and that's just not how a toddler mind Unless (laughs) because your your toddler mind was saying well if I were center stage 
uh, in front of this audience, I would also be putting that foot forward, not this. Exactly. And every dancer knows her good leg, right? I'm a righty all the way. I'm not, don't make me devlope the left leg if I don't have to. And so from an early age, I guess I just sort of grasped onto that. And so they, and I remember, you know, my mother danced with Siegfried and Roy up, like even after my brother and I were born, she didn't leave the show until after my brother was born. Um, So she was still dancing in our early years. And I know she has she said multiple times to me that she didn't want to like force it on me. Mm-hmm. Um, so I essentially had to be like, yes, I really want to go to dance class. I really want to go to dance class. Like I had to sort of like ask for it, you know, because she didn't want to just automatically assume that that's what I wanted to do. Luckily, sure. I made it very obvious for them. <laughs> and I and so I started going to the studio called Backstage. And just a little side note about it. I absolutely love Backstage studio in Las Vegas, my mother and all of her showgirl, showboy friends from the golden years have a jazz class that they go to every Sunday together. Incredible. Isn't that the cute? That's going to be you and I when we're, when we're like <laughs> 70. I think it's going to have our little, it's going to be at it's gonna, Ripley somehow will have survived the apocalypse and we will still meet there every week. <laughs> to do some tell me why abs and chasse's across the floor tell me why (laughs) correct oh my gosh and so um but i love backstage studio and the thing is is if i had not moved to missouri i probably would have gone like concert dance route because that's what everyone does in vegas it's either concert dance or commercial dance you know, mm-hmm. they all end up either working for Cirque du Soleil or they go to Los Angeles and they're in music videos and they're in stuff like that. Um, or they're auditioning because, I mean, there are some real excellent technical dance schools in Las Vegas. Um, and they've all got these amazing feet in their ballerinas and it's quite incredible. But if I had stayed there, that's what I would have done. But when but we moved to Missouri when I was eight. Mm-hmm. And so... Then I got involved with one of the local children's theaters there, and I realized that I really liked that. And then we tried out a musical, and it it was really fun. And I was doing all the plays every year that I possibly could for a couple years. And then it wasn't until I was 10 that Arrow Rock found me. And they literally did find me because this director, um, they were doing Cats, Mm -hmm. which was so a, a wild thing like I that I never thought that I would even get to do at such a young age but this director had this crazy vision for the character of syllabub that it should actually be played by a child now to this day I still question that decision um because I'm, <laughs> that show is so hard so and hard. I was not good you know like <laughs> no one I when you when I look at 10 year olds now and like I judge dance competitions now so when I look at these 10 year olds I'm like oh my god I was a floppy fish when I was 10 and these kids have this great placement they're throwing aerials and I look back at me at 10 and I'm like oh my god how did I get this job but so this director told the artistic director of the theater that he wanted a child for this role and so Quinn Gresham who I owe everything to for you know, giving me this opportunity went around to the dance studios and the children's theaters of Columbia, Missouri and asked, do you have someone who can sing a standard child soprano um, and can dance mm-hmm. and is good to work with? 
and two sources recommended me the children's theater i was doing stuff with at the time and my dance studio um and as far as i know there was only one other person in consideration who kind of fit both those bills and she was slightly older than i was at the time i was 10 and she was 13 so both were very distinct choices and very different because it's a large age gap you know there's a lot of growth that happens there a lot of development right the very first double pirouette i ever did in my life was in my audition for cats at arrow rock (laughs) because it was a requirement you had to be able to do it you had to be able to sing that little end part of memory and i think he also had me do some leaps and he came and watched one of my jazz classes um and saw kind of how i moved and everything um and somehow against all odds i got it <laughs> and i went and 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 did that for a couple of weeks over the summer i remember feeling really cool because i got to leave 5th grade a month early and <laughs> at the time i was like not the cool kid i was like bullied in 5th grade but everybody suddenly thought i was the coolest kid on the block because i would only come to school once a week on mondays for 10 minutes to grab my homework and then i'd leave again uh-huh. and go to rehearsal and yes. so they were like, what is she doing? Where is she going? I felt so cool. I was like, no one can touch me. I'm a superstar. <laughs> I literally thought it was Broadway. Like, you're like, you, I'm a cat, beach. I'm a cat. <laughs> it, was, it was one of the most incredible experiences of my life. And I, part of me wishes that there was like an archival that I could go back and like watch oh my and God. just see. Because so but much of it is a blur. I was so I'm young, sure. you know? I, I was such a... And there are certain things that stick out in my mind, like certain people that were so kind to me. I mean, listen, this was an entire cast of people who some of them had just come off that most recent national tour of Cats at that time. Mm-hmm. Like they had been doing this for a long time. And we did all the original Jillian Lynn choreography. And we also put it up at a summer stock pace. So I learned the show in nine days. And I would have, if Lord. I were in that situation and I saw a 10 year old walking in. I, I probably would have, you know, been a little annoyed, but yeah. they, oh, <laughs> they were all so wonderful and kind. And there's several of them that I've actually gotten to, like, reconnect with over the years. One of them who is also currently on Broadway right now, he and I did um, – we did a regional production right after I graduated at Heart Together. And I remember seeing him at the audition and, like, I almost got emotional because I was like, oh, my God, like, I'm – I'm an adult now. Yeah. Like I, I'm working with these people more so as equals. I'm a completely different person. I have a fully mm-hmm. developed, you know, almost frontal cortex. Like I'm just, <laughs> it's wild. So I love when I get to see people from that time in my life yeah. because it, I allow myself to feel a sense of pride in how far I've come. Um, mm-hmm. I also feel bad because I know it makes them feel old. like I know I know they hate it when I remind them that I was 10 years old when we did that production sorry about it you were booked and blessed regardless of how old you are but I love that like truly I remember when you know we we hit it off and we got to be close at heart and um I remember thinking that you know we had similar upbringings just in terms of like starting so young like I did my first professional show when I was 10 um also in Missouri but in Kansas City crazy and I know so wild we were so close geographically for so long and (laughs) our paths did not cross until school but um yeah I I think it's so cool and so wonderful that you were 
able to have that experience from such a young age because it only helps shape who you are um, in and out of audition rooms, in rehearsal rooms, on stage, backstage, like knowing the culture from so young, it just is a game changer. I mean, I, I have friends who are like, yeah, I didn't start theater until I was a senior in high school and I just auditioned for MT programs. And it's like, wow, there's just a difference in like that, you know, that knowledge of the culture and like the way that things run when you've been doing it for <laughs> 10 years before that. So I think it's amazing. And it, you're so fortunate to have um, a family and parents who supported you in, in those endeavors and were able to help you do all of those shows throughout. I mean, you started at 10 and then basically every year after that you were at Arrow Rock doing professional like Broadway level nine shows. Nine years. Is wild. I did nine years in a row there. It was that is crazy. It's, it's bonkers. Yeah. And I, I still love that place with all my heart and, and it really was. And, and we're also so privileged in that, you know, it, it's one thing to start doing theater in general when you're young and grow up doing shows and stuff. It's another thing to do union theater when you're right. young and growing right. up accustomed to that. I remember being, you know, 12, having done three union productions and, and having that in my back pocket and getting annoyed at the community theater rehearsals, being like, where's my 10? <laughs> yes. Where, where is my, you know, where's the cot? <laughs> Where's the equity cot? I made that joke <laughs> in high school all the time. Everybody made fun of me for it. And and even and learning all the rules and everything and just kind of learning it and experiencing it all just I'm sure you felt the same way, like just prepped us for the professional world and meant that I didn't have to ask as many questions and I could be a resource for other people. I remember people would come to me all the time at heart and be like, What's this? What's that? Like what 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 does equity say about this? Like how do we stay right. in touch? How do we do things? Like I was the one that people went to, even though I wasn't a union member yet, mm-hmm. I still knew what was going on and everything. And it's really funny, like I'm on my first Broadway show right now and it came time to assign um, a new deputy for this next quarter and every single person <laughs> looked at me. They were like, LBW <laughs> They're like, do it. And I was like, okay, I volunteer as tribute. But that shocked me because, you know, usually you would want someone who has has been around the block before and and done that sort of thing before. They're like, ah, you'll be fine. And it's like, yes, (laughs) because I know all the rules and stuff. Speaking of your show, I, of course, have to ask you about your experience making your Broadway debut in the first ever revival of such a huge show, Funny Girl. And I mean, now you've been doing it for a year. You mm-hmm. are hundreds of performances under your belt. But um, what has it been like? And I guess I'd love to hear, you know, what it's like to know of the difference between first setting foot on the stage and now it's old hat for you. You know, you go to the theater, you do your job and you come home. Yeah, we hit 400 performances last week. Wow. That's just, that's so many. Yeah, <laughs> it's so many shows, so many shows. And, you know, and it's not even what's what's so unique about our production is I haven't done 400 of the same show. We started off with one version and then over the summer we switched to another version. And then, of course, mm-hmm. in previews and tech and rehearsal, like everything was changing so much. And so I've really only been doing this version since September. So it doesn't feel as like. I think a lot of people would probably feel more tired of it at this point than I do. Because to me, it kind of only feels like we've been doing it for a little over six months. 
and especially since I mean I mean the whole thing has been so out of the ordinary just in everything that has happened that I'm I sort of feel like coming out of this show I'm like bring it on I can handle anything <laughs> yeah <laughs> I you know nothing can surprise me anymore um mm-hmm. and it's funny I was having I mean I had a matinee today and I this whole week, there's this one part, part I do in the show where I fall off of a table. I do this like leg spin and I fall off the table. You, of course, know exactly what I'm talking about. And mm-hmm. lately this week, I've been like scared of it. And I'm like, hmm. why? I've done this 400 times. <laughs> why am I suddenly having these like little mental blocks? And it's like every I feel like every week or every show, there's like something different in the show that I feel like nervous about. And I'm like, why? I literally have done this every single day for the Mm -hmm. past year but it just is a perfect example of how live theater is an ever-moving thing it is not it's not like watching a movie every single day for a year Mm -hmm. you never know what's gonna happen the whole beauty of it is that everything is in the moment and spontaneous so even after we've done it 400 times there's still something different every day. And I think that's why it hasn't been super hard for me to like, you know, keep it fresh as they say. And I even just, when I went back to heart last week and I was working with the kids and everything, one of the big questions in the Q and A was how do you stay engaged and stay fresh after 400 performances? And I'm fortunate to say that that, that that's not the hard part for me. Love it. I'm, I'm, it's easy for me to stay engaged. Cause I also, I mean, my biggest motivator is I just want to make my castmates laugh. I just, <laughs> yes. I just want to want to have those human moments and connections on stage that remind us that we are here in the moment that we're not robots. Mm-hmm. And those totally. moments are so not hard to come by, especially since as an ensemble, like we have that freedom to be just mm-hmm. a little bit goofy. You know, you have those peas and carrots moments in the back or you're, you know, <laughs> a- allowed to say whatever chaotic thing you want in the middle of an ensemble number. And so you, you. And you sometimes even... you're lucky enough for it to end up on the original Broadway cast recording. Yeah. Fun fact. <laughs> um, if you listen really carefully to the cast recording of the song Henry Street um, in the new Broadway cast of, of A Funny Girl on Broadway, you can hear the name Cheryl said at least 10 times in the background. <laughs> and that is my legacy. It sure is. An unscripted name that has now made it onto <laughs> an OBC That recording. joke was made on like day five of rehearsal. The, oh God, there goes Cheryl again, like falling <laughs> off of tables. That joke was made the first week of rehearsal. And the fact that Cheryl has become such an institution, <laughs> even when this tour goes out, they're, they're someone's going to get the Cheryl track. You know what I mean? mean? It's so fierce. That's the coolest thing ever. Like I, it's so different than just hopping into somebody else's track or, you know, doing, doing a show that has already been established and everything. Like the fact that I got to craft that track and all of the choreography I do is, and thank goodness we had such a, a wonderfully collaborative team that came to us and said, what do you guys want to do? What feels good on your body? What can you do? Mm-hmm. How can we showcase you? Mariah Reeves does that aerial eight times a week. Yeah. And that is, and she she's so fierce. And they gave her that opportunity to have that magnificent moment. And they gave me the table opportunity to do that. And we, we crafted that. We all totally. as, as a company crafted those moments. And that's so special and unique. And it is, you know... I could go an entire career of doing a bunch of Broadway shows and never have that again. 
Yeah. You know? Well, so it's like in that vein, I would love to hear um, like more details just about your experience rehearsing. I mean, this show was directed by Michael Mayer, who has done everything, countless Broadway shows and, mm-hmm. and incredible stuff, um, choreographed by Eleanor Scott and um, and Aya Deli-Cassell. Um, I mean, these people have have their fingers in many pies and, you know, they have like a lot of, of moving things at, at one time. But like, what was it like for them all to come into one room and for you to learn under them and offer up, you know, whatever you possibly could? They're just each so brilliant in so many different ways. And what's fun about having what I thought was fun about having two choreographers is that you know, so many shows are just like, oh, we'll just get one choreographer who can do tap and jazz and ballet and all the things. And like a lot of times you're going to get work that is unbalanced and mm-hmm. is going to be like, you know, because everyone has their strengths. Disjointed. Yeah, exactly. Like I feel like I'm a very strong, you know, more jazz kind of groovy choreographer, but I'm not super versed in like classical ballet and stuff. So if you hired me for a show that like, you know, was mainly cool jazz, but then had a ballet number, like which one is likely going to be the weaker number, the style that I'm not strong at. Because we had two choreographers who were brought in to do what they are best at and give their like coolest thing that they possibly could and they didn't have to worry about doing any other styles that like that they probably could do because they're both extremely like versatile you know choreographers and oh, amazing but they didn't even have to worry about that right because Iadeli is one of the greatest tappers on in, on the planet right now mm-hmm. um and Eleanor is just, I just, oh, I love watching her dance. I, I used to watch her on So You Think You Can Dance. I mean, her style is just so fun. And she really was so collaborative and fun to work with. They both were. I mean, I, 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 I was in the company of the best of the best throughout that rehearsal process. And they cared about what we thought. And that wasn't necessarily something I had experienced <laughs> before. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean? Like, I've had mm-hmm. really great choreographers in the past, but... None of them had ever asked me my opinion on what mm-hmm. we were going to be doing on stage. None of them ever asked me, like, oh, do you have an idea of, like, what's going on here? Like, unless you're, like, an associate or something and they're sure. that's part of the job description, like, that's normal. But I don't know. I was so used to just having things set on me and just being told what to do. Um, and I do love choreographing. And, I, and I'm always thinking of, oh, wouldn't that be cool here? Wouldn't this be cool here? But to actually be able to speak those things out loud was really awesome. And then, of course, when it came to the tap – like that's rat tat is one of the most challenging things I will ever do in my life. And every single day it continues to be a challenge. And I push myself to do that number every day to the best of my Mm -hmm. ability. And I've grown so much from doing it. And now I will never have any anxiety going into any tap audition ever again. Because I will have done rat tat. <laughs> I mean, and it, it I sincerely is doing rat the, tat on Broadway. It's the most incredible tapping I have ever seen. Truly, like seeing the boys do that, they're like almost, it's almost like a battle, but it's like that they're tap duet at the top of Rat Tat and then everyone comes in. It's just stunning. I've seen the show three times and I am always like floored by the the ability to do that. I mean, it's, it's halfway through the show. So you have already done your first huge chunk and then you do this number and then you still have like, or maybe like a third of the show left. Like it's, it's far in. <laughs> I really do think it should be illegal 
to do that level of tap dancing at 1030 in the evening. <laughs> it really should be there should be some kind of law enacted. It's mm-hmm. it's inhumane. But we do it and the audience loves it. it. And that's another yes. moment that I absolutely love and keeps it fresh. The boys um, at the towards the very end of their duet at the beginning of that number, they improv battle each other. Mm. And mm-hmm. that's different every single day. And you can tell the days where they're like, oh, yeah, how about this? And it's awesome. <laughs> it's the coolest thing. We're always like peeking through the curtains at that moment. And I'm always like, oh, what are they going to do today? Or like when a swing is on, I'm like, what are they going to do? You know, and we always yeah. have swings on. And so there's always it's never the same cast any two days in mm-hmm. a row. So that's that also keeps it fun and interesting. That's so cool. Well, I also, I mean, I mentioned I, I saw, I've seen the show three times um, and I've seen three out of the four people who who have played the role. I saw Beanie Feldstein, I saw Julie Benko, and I've seen Leah Michelle. Can you tell me what it's like um, to be on stage with a different Fanny after after maybe, you know, weeks and months of someone doing the role and then someone is like, okay, they're on. They, it's, it's their turn. Like, do you guys all have to adjust and, and you know, make way for, for new choices and new things? Absolutely. And, you know, a perfect example of that is I had, I had my first understudy rehearsal this week. <gasps> my first My first full understudy rehearsal. I now understudy the role of Emma, which is Fanny's dresser. And yes. I was lucky enough to do understudy rehearsal with Effie Artema, who actually plays Emma. Um, and she's an understudy for Fanny. And so mm-hmm. her understudy rehearsal was for Fanny. Mine was for Emma. And she was so gracious in, like, giving me pointers throughout the whole rehearsal and answering all of my obnoxious questions about the role. Because that role really does kind of stick by Fanny's side the entire time. Yes. Um, and there are a lot of <laughs> – that role has a lot of props. And has a lot of a lot of logistical things that go on that is is really tricky. Like there's no dance steps, there's no singing, there's none of that. But it's a lot of props, it's a lot of tracking, and it's a lot of making sure that whoever's playing Fanny has what they need. Um, yes. And she would. There's this one change that she helps with, and she's like, okay, when Leah is on, she likes to be handed her water bottle here, and this and this. But when Julie is on, this is what happens. And so it is a different show with every mm. single Fanny. Their mm-hmm. their comedic timing is different. Their voices are different. The, the way that they move about the world is completely different. And it's all – each of them is so unique and special. And I also love having different bits with all of them. You mm-hmm. know? Like Julie's His Love Makes You Beautiful is way different than Leah's. But you mm-hmm. learn them both and you learn what each – actress likes to do and what makes them feel the most confident and then we just you know we support that um it's awesome and that's the same for you not even just the three fannies but um for all the swings and all the understudies and everything you know especially after they've gone on once and you get the feel for what their you know choice of that character is there's the learning curve in the first few you know kind of shows and being like okay how do we how do we all Mm -hmm. fit into this now but then sure. you get into the rhythm of it and, and it just becomes another, you know, it's a routine. Yes, for sure. Well, I, I have just loved getting to, getting to know the show through you. I mean, obviously I'm just like uber proud and I, I will never forget, you know, when, when you <laughs> very first were like, Hey, um, I just need to like call you. <laughs> I texted, I texted you. I was like, <laughs> Hi. Um, 
call me ASAP. I was so vague. Yeah. <laughs> and I think you texted back. You were like, dot, dot, dot. Did you book Funny Girl? <laughs> <laughs> I was, was like, like the first thing you asked I knew. Me. And I was just like over the moon, just like thrilled for you. But, um, you know, to get to, to know your friends in the show through you and just get to get to see you shine in the show is just like thrilling. I, I, of course I will be coming again and again, but, um, it's kind of like an indescribable feeling to see someone who you know so well and who you love so much, you know, to see their dream come true. So getting to like be in the audience that first time that I saw you do the show was just wild. I was like, I know that girl. <laughs> I know that person so well. And, and I felt the same I knew way how much with it you and Mary Sunshine. You know, oh. like I, I will never forget how heartbroken I was when I had COVID on your debut. <laughs> oh my god, so I forgot angry. that it was COVID. I literally had COVID. Not only was I in Vegas, that wasn't the problem. I was ready yes. to hop on a, you know, a, a red eye <laughs> and get there. Like that is not an issue for me. I, I'm down to clown. Okay. I will do it. But I literally had COVID and I was ill. Like I was actually sick. And I knew that you were going to get called in again and everything, but I, it murdered me that I couldn't be there to like celebrate that moment. No. Well, it was so special to be able to have you come. The second time I got to do the show, you had a Monday off and we have shows on Mondays. So that was like magical and perfect. So to get to like look out into the audience and see you, I was like, oh my God, it's all happening. And we had this like running joke throughout college where we were like, I can't wait for when we're both on Broadway at the same exact time and we can FaceTime each other from our dressing rooms. Oh and my gosh. When you texted me did. that morning. And you said, hey, wanna, I just wanted to know if you wanted to FaceTime from our dressing rooms tonight. I was like, ah! <laughs> like, was just, the, just the coolest. And, and now what we yeah. need, and I'll put this out into the universe for any, I don't know if there are any casting directors or producers or anybody that are going to listen to this. But hi, if you could put Jake Workman and I in a show together, that would be really great. Particularly maybe like a singing, dancing, acting show that's just two people. Right. I don't know. Yeah, I think we we can workshop it. But. We can workshop it. We're delightful, um, and <laughs> I think the public would like us. And that's what I'll say Correct. about that. Well, so obviously you have been doing the show for quite some time. You have done over four hundred performances, um, and you have dear friends in the show who have now booked things and are are moving on. Um, Amber Ardolino, who was in the original cast of Funny Girl with You, has moved um, very, very near your theater, but to um, the new musical Back to the Future. Tell me about um, being in a show on Broadway and still, you know, searching for jobs and, and actively, I mean, it's not to say that you are excited to leave the show, but, you know, I've talked to a few people on the podcast about how you're never really done. You're never really like settled and secure. There's always like, well, there could be something on the horizon. Um, are you like looking forward to either creating your own works or, or diving into new um, theatrical opportunities like post funny girl? Yeah, I am currently auditioning and I, my intention is to stay with funny girl until it closes. Um, mm. I would really like to finish out that chapter with my company yeah. and with, with everyone there who chooses to be there for the end. I 
would just really like for that to happen. Um, I also love the Broadway paycheck. And there's also like <laughs> right now is an interesting season. And I'm sure you feel this way too, that just not a lot is happening and not even just that not a lot is happening, but like there's not a lot that I feel I'm right for. Yes. You know, I, I remember I used to just open up, you know, the actors equity website or Broadway world, um, like job postings and playbill job postings and stuff. And I would just go on anything and everything that had, an open call or was seeing non-union at one point, I would just literally go in for anything. But now I'm so much mm-hmm. more specific about what I want to do. Um, and I have the privilege of being specific. Um, yeah. And so it's, it's interesting trying to think about what I want the next thing to look like. I love being part of a true rehearsal process with a whole company and being able to build a show from the ground up. I love that. It's so incredibly special. Not to say that I wouldn't take a job being a replacement for somebody in a current, you know, established show. Like, that obviously is a different challenge and would be fun in its own way. But I do love being part of the process and seeing a job through, you know, for better and for worse and just, you know, being part of the thing and making the hat and all that. And so I would love to do that again. And so a lot of the things that I've been going in for are like new musicals that are just starting to have their like first workshop or like things that are in their infancy and things. And I would I would love to do something like that. Um, mm-hmm. And Funny Girl was so different because we didn't have an out of town. They didn't do like a developmental workshop or anything. They just said, all right, we're going to audition people. And then we're going to go straight to Broadway. And that's not normal. That's right. not usually how things happen. But they were just like, ah, we'll figure it out. And now we're, you know, we're just we're just doing it. But I would I would love to maybe do like an out of town of something and maybe follow a project and and yeah, create new things. And I would love to maybe, I don't know, do some roles here and there. I would like to, you know, mm-hmm. I, I, I love dancing in the ensemble, but I also love saying lines. I also love, you yes. know, singing like I love I love all those things. So I would just love to dip my toe in as many areas as that will have me. You know, I'm also a huge believer in that you don't get to really choose what you do in this industry. It fully chooses for you. And so mm-hmm. I I have specific goals and things that I would really like to do, but I'm also incredibly open. I'm like, I'm like, hi, universe. What do you think I would be really good at doing right now? Like, what do you <laughs> think would be something cool or something fun and something that would teach me? And because um, I intend to have a I intend to have a long career, you know, I don't, yes. I don't want to just do it for a few years and then pick something else. Like I want it to be a journey. And so totally. I don't know. I'm open to whatever that next thing might be, but I am actively looking because, you know, I'm only like almost four and a half, like five months away from like really needing a job. So mm-hmm. <laughs> it's that, that time is now. Um, and so just keeping yeah. the vibrations high and the, and the energy towards new things, open and the channel clear and stuff so that I'm ready to receive whatever's going to happen next. Hell yes. Jake Workman well, and I's two-person show, perhaps. <laughs> what theaters are open? Oh, Phantom's leaving. Can we take over the Majestic? Can oh, we... the Majestic. Just a little known, just a basement <laughs> style we'll theater. just bing bong around that stage. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I know that um, the <laughs> many adoring fans of this podcast um, are simply dying to know what is it like to work with one Leah Michelle. Oh gosh, she's just so lovely. She's so <laughs> lovely, and I, 
I, I really do just adore her and I adore her family and her friends and everybody like she she really came in and from the get go was so gracious. She knew all of our names on day one. Like she had fully done her homework. I mean, I think she had seen the show like six times before we even met her and stuff. And so she already knew all of us. And I mean, it's just so I mean, I get to hear Leah Michelle sing Don't Rain on My Parade every single day. And it's it's kind of dumb. It's it really is stupid. Like it's dumb. <laughs> it's the fr- and I I love this story and the girls in the dressing room made fun of me for it. But now it's one of my favorite stories. The very first time she, she did that song in rehearsal, it, we all knew it was a big moment. She knew it was a big moment. I knew it was a big moment. We she sang that song on a Broadway stage for the first time, and we finish. And I remember, like, I could see, like, little tears in her eyes. Like, I was feeling very overwhelmed because I was also a huge Gleek growing up. My brother and I loved Glee. I rewatched it in, in its entirety over the pandemic for, like, a second time. Like, I, I, <laughs> I know that show. And I, I remember I used to always be, like, compared to Rachel Berry growing up because I was the theater girl. And I also had brown hair, you know, so that automatically means I'm Rachel Berry. <laughs> um <laughs> And so I remember she sang Don't Rain My Parade for the first time. And it was the coolest thing ever. And she turned around and she looked at all of us. And I said to her, I was like, girl, I was 12 years old when I watched you sing that on the Tony Awards after mm-hmm. Glee had premiered. And now I just had the privilege of standing behind you when you sang that on a Broadway stage for a first time. I was like, this is one of the coolest moments ever. And I remember, I think it was Amber, actually, and, and I don't feel bad about saying this. I think she made fun of me afterwards for it. She was like, oh, you're going to, like, ask Leah to, like, watch your favorite episode of Glee with you and stuff? I was like, okay, you shut up. <laughs> she, like, made fun of me for it. And then I get a phone call, like, a few days later from the New York Times, which is, <laughs> sure, <laughs> which is the sure. silliest, silliest phone call I've ever received in my life. Of them being like, hey, we're doing this piece on Leah. And she mentioned that, like, you were a kid watching her sing that on Glee. And now you're on Broadway with her. Can we, like, talk to you about that for a second? And I, rem- <laughs> and I, for a moment, like, I was afraid that I had annoyed her by saying that. Because obviously, like, you know, when you're known for something, I can imagine that it's exhausting to have people bring up, like, the same project that you've done over and over and over again and bombard you with things like that. But I was very glad that she saw it as an endearing moment and like I I can truly call her a friend I we really get along so well um and I adore working with her and yeah that voice is like butter and it sounds the same every single day and I don't know how she does it it's a master class that's wild I mean it getting to work with her you have gotten to work with so many I mean Beanie Feldstein, Jane Lynch, like Tova Felcha, all these people who have like just these legacies, you know, in different ways. It's so cool. And I feel like this show is so special for you because not only is it your Broadway debut, but since it's such a huge revival with such incredible people attached to it, you've gotten to tick so many boxes like getting to perform on Good Morning America or the Today Show Mm -hmm. or like getting to perform on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade. It's just like so many incredible bucket list things that like all you get to take all of those boxes with one show. So, I mean, from my perspective, I just think it's it's amazing that oh, yeah. you've gotten this this experience. 
people will go their entire like they'll have these long illustrious careers on Broadway and could still have never done the Macy's Parade. I remember Les Les said that to me. She was like, she was like, this is a special one. Like, even if your show is really popular and even if you've, you know, you're a part of a new one, you don't always get chosen by NBC to do it. You know, you can live a life doing 12 Broadway shows by only being replacements and things and not getting to be part of all those original company type fancy stuff. So mm-hmm. I I have not taken any of that for granted, for sure. Macy's Parade was one of the coolest days of my life, even though I wiped out on national television. That's fine. They didn't. You, <laughs> no, the thing is, is like if you watch it, you'll you'll you wouldn't have even noticed. But I say it proudly. I fell during the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade <laughs> and I will have that forever. You sure will. But like you said, it wasn't on TV. Wasn't so on when TV. I was watching, I was like, oh, yeah. it was Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, I'm being carried off by my castmate, John, (laughs) and my knee is bloody and I've ripped through my skirt. Oh, my God. I wouldn't take it back for the world, though. It's a great story. All of it. It is a great story. And I just I mean, I know how special it is to you to get to do these things because we were both that theater kid, not just as kids, but like being together at heart. You and I sitting together in the backstage cafe at the Mort and Irma Handel Performing Arts Center in Hartford, Connecticut. God bless them. <laughs> and watching bootleg videos of anything. I mean, I just, I even had, I had Leslie Margarita on the pod and I remember watching videos of her with you or like going to see Cats, the revival with you. And we were so, so excited to see all of these incredible dancers. And now like, we are on stage with them. It's very wild. So I love that you get to have these experiences because I know how much <laughs> it means to the theater kid in you. Oh my gosh. I was, uh, we were the biggest theater and we still are. And I think that's what, there is a certain charm to it. And like, how can you, how can you not love this art form? Like, how can you, totally. how can you not? Like, I just feel that way. And I, I had this moment, like in my dressing gondola the other day, I was looking through my Facebook memories and popped up a picture of me. Remember when we all went to go see Hello, Dolly, our junior year over spring of break? Of course. It was a picture of me, like, beveling in front of the marquee in my in my mm-hmm. little coat and, like, some sort of, you know, funny little Broadway caption or whatever. And I looked to Leslie Flesner sitting to my left, original cast member of the revival of Hello, Dolly who I thought just had the most gorgeous technique and feet and who I loved watching in that revival. And I turned my phone to her and I said, this was me five years ago. And she was like, oh, my God. I was like, and now I'm sitting right beside you, bitch. I made it. Okay. You were and up you'll there never kicking. get away you'll from me now. never getting rid of me. It's the coolest thing ever. I love when stuff like that pops up or like old things from college where I'm reminded that there was a period of time where this all seemed so foreign and so unachievable. Yes. You know, I mean, I think you and I both had the mindset of like, oh, we're going to make it because I absolutely cannot do anything else with my life. I do not see myself being anywhere else. Like, I will not rest. I will not sleep until I make this dream happen. And we both had that hunger. 
And so just those moments where you're reminded of that, especially on the days where it gets really, really hard. Like this is not an easy job. Eight shows a week is not easy. I go throughout my weeks having never seen, having not seen my friends in a month. Mm -hmm. I, you know, it's hard to call and catch up with my family back home there. It's a three hour time difference and I'm on the most whack schedule. Um, there are some times where it's really hard for me to sleep because I'm stressed about, you know, rehearsal or put in, or I'm, I'm there all day, or sometimes I don't see the sunshine. It's difficult. It's really hard. And it's really nice when I'm reminded of those moments of being like, Hey, remember when like, this is all you ever dreamed of. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And like you're actually doing it. And that's not to and not to negate the struggles of it and everything, because I do believe we need to be pushing forward to make this this life more sustainable and something that you sure. can do for a decade without feeling life like you missed out on being a person. I do believe mm-hmm. we need to push towards that. And I'm a huge advocate for policies that make that happen for us. But yes, I also have to acknowledge the fact that. It is a privilege. We are part of the, you know, 2% of performers that achieve this level of commercial success. And it is something to be thankful and grateful for because I just, I I always dreamed. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. And then it just, it happened. And it's just wild to me every single day. I still pinch myself. Wild. Well, I have just been like over the moon to get to see you do it. So I'm, just so happy for you and i just love you i love you more <laughs> well leslie thank you so much for being on the pod oh my god i just adore you i have wanted you to be on it since i started this so i'm so glad we made it happen and can you tell the listeners um where they can follow you on social yes i'm on instagram at leslie blake walker and on tiktok at legsley bw <laughs> period oh i just love I you i love you more You guys, that's it for another episode of Oh My Pod, You Guys. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe anywhere you listen to the pod. And you can follow the show on Instagram at Oh My Pod, You Guys. Also, if you loved Leslie's interview and want to hear an extended version, you can listen to that exclusively on broadwayworld.com. Thanks so much for listening. Talk soon. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.